Well, good evening. Uh, I want to say what it is, uh, uh, a privilege it is to be able to present the Word of God, um, especially here. And uh, anywhere is a privilege to, to share the Word of God. But uh, for me, standing in this pulpit is a responsibility. As many of you know, I was um, pastoring a, a, a work that was an outreach of this church in Auburn um, for 13, it was 16 years and I preached practically every Sunday um, but uh, standing in this pulpit is a little bit different for me it, it has um, it's a challenge um, and I, I need to be uh, making sure that I'm Definitely resting on the Lord. I got the call to uh, preach this message when I was up a tree. Um, I received an email from Pastor Fisher saying that um, Pastor Matthews was down, uh, but not out. And... Um, there needed to be someone to fill the gap. He said he was prepared to do it, and I'm thinking Pastor Fisher's doing heaps of stuff at the moment. And I was actually um, up a tree pruning a mulberry tree um, to get rid of the long, tall canes so that uh, when the fruit comes around, the fruit bats don't get it. Um, and so I guess I was probably a little bit closer to heaven at that stage than I needed to be. Um, and I was tempted to think, well, Pastor Fisher is going to do it. I'll let him do it. Um, but I, I thought otherwise. So I was prepared to um, stand in the gap just as well because after that we found out that Pastor Fisher went down um, with, with COVID as well. So the Lord was in control. He knows what's going on. And uh, here I am. And here we are all together. So nothing happens by accident. My uh, message for tonight is entitled Created by God. Um, as you uh, may have um, determined from the reading, it has to do with creation in the way that creation speaks to us. Um, it's, it's textbook theological, Bible college theology. Um, God reveals himself to us in two ways. One is through creation, what we see around us, outside of these walls. Um, you know, the, the, the creatures, the, the geography, the stars, everything. Um, that's called general revelation. And he also speaks to us through his word. There are certain things that we can't determine through general revelation. So God has to reveal them to us through his word. And uh, tonight's message will be a combination of both. Um, God showing how God speaks to us through uh, what we see around us, his creation, and also from his word. I've got a question for you. 
You've got your thinking caps on. What happens when a giraffe bends down to drink? I bet you've never thought of that before. It must be something that's very new to you. Actually, what happens is quite amazing. The intricate measures that are present in a giraffe's circulatory system show that it has could not have evolved. I think you've gathered that I believe that God created the world. Um, and I hope you do too. But the, the point is that I'm, that's in my mind at the moment is we have, we have a Christian school. There are, Christ, there are churches that have Christian schools you know, in other places. Um, and, and they will present this. And our young people will listen to it. They'll probably accept it. And then they sometimes go to university and they are bombarded with the opposition, with the opposite thinking. And they are bombarded with so-called scientific facts. And sadly, some of them struggle with that. So it's a question of not just what you think. It's what you really believe. And I believe that, our, uh, that God's word um, makes it clear. And the, the, the science that we have today, if you really think about it, it'll bring you to the conclusion that God created the world. That the, even the creatures that we see, the animals and the fish that we see, and the way that they behave and the things that they do, it could not have evolved. The heart of a fully grown giraffe is the size of a football. Now you think, you know, a, 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 an adult giraffe, their legs are six feet tall before you even get to the body. And then you've got that body there and you've got that huge long neck. And the heart has to get blood up that neck and down those legs and back up again in a way that is safe. But there are also mechanisms in place to counter the problems that a very high blood pressure system can cause. You, know, you think about, you know, I, I read somewhere that the, the blood pressure system, uh, the blood pressure of a, of a giraffe is something like 10 times that of a human. Um, and you just imagine what that does to you know, arteries and veins, um, the, the legs of a giraffe are designed in such a way that the, um, the vessels, the blood vessels will not burst under such a, under such a pressure. That's amazing. You think about that. So what happens when a giraffe bends its head down to drink at the watering hole? You know, I, I don't know what happens in the zoos. Maybe they sort of cheat a little bit and they have the watering troughs up high so that, you know, the giraffe just has to bend down a little bit. But in the real life, it's not like that. You're at the watering hole. You've got legs. Have you ever seen pictures of a giraffe trying to drink? It's got to spread its legs out or it bends down to, in order to drink. It's got a long way to get down. 
And when it gets to that point, its head is way below the heart. So gravity is now in control. Unless there were things in place to restrict the force of gravity because that heart is pumping away really strongly and that blood is going down that neck towards the head. And if there was nothing there to control those, uh, that situation, the first time that giraffe bends down to have a drink, its brains get blown out. So what happens? There are valves in the, circul in the, in the vessels of the neck that control what goes on. When that head goes down, these valves start to shut down and they restrict the flow of blood. And just behind the brain, there is a sponge-like thing. I don't know how you say this. The retimirabili, okay, or retimirabili, it could be. I've never heard anybody say it. I've only read it. So as the animal lowers its head, the valves restrict the flow of blood. But towards the end, near the head, there's this one final squirt that goes into the retimirabili this sponge thing that's sitting behind the brain. And it is like a, a reservoir of the blood. So the, the, the giraffe is down there drinking away. It's got enough blood to be keeping, keep on doing what it's doing. Everything's fine. Um, but then all of a sudden it gets up. Or maybe it has to get up in a hurry. And anyone who's around my age... Um, you know, old friends like Gavin, my old friend, um, will know that if you get up too quickly, you have what's called postural drop and you don't feel terribly well for a while. You know, um, the, 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 uh, the action is too quick for what's going on in the head and you sort of, I think I'd better sit down for a little while. You imagine that happening to a giraffe with its long neck and um, it would have big problems. But that doesn't happen. The head lifts up. There's still enough blood in there to keep the brain going. Everything's fine. And then as the neck comes up, all those valves open up again and the heart's pumping blood up into the, uh, the head of the giraffe. Everything goes fine, no problems. Now, stop and think about that. That has to happen with the very first giraffe. That has to happen the first time. It has to be there in place at the very beginning. Otherwise, you have a dead animal. And you might think that this is a very simple statement. Dead animals don't evolve. They don't evolve into anything. So the conclusion that is the right one to come to is that animal was designed that way. And the only one who can do that is God. We have a, the creation has been designed by a divine being. 
that divine designer is the one who made the universe. You, know, you look at the stars, you look at, you know, uh, particularly with uh, some of the um, uh, satellites that are going out, you know, these telescopes that are going out into space and what they're seeing as they go deeper and deeper into space is blowing the minds of even the scientists. Okay. God created the universe and the creatures, creatures within it. We think of our uh, passage tonight that we read. Uh, Job, in answering his friends, who weren't being very helpful um, in comforting him in his time of trial, refers to the creation as evidence of God's divine hand in the issues of life. The God who created the world is also the God that can be involved in your life and who knows what's happening in your life. Job says this, verse 7, But ask now the beasts, and they shall teach thee, and the fowls of the air, and they shall tell thee, or speak to the earth, and it shall teach thee, and the fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, Who knoweth not in all these things, in all these, that the hand of the Lord hath wrought this? In whose hand, in God's hand, is the soul of every living thing, and the breath of all mankind. What's Job saying here? He's saying, stop. Look around. Look at the creation that surrounds you. The creation doesn't speak to you of an endless series of mindless accidents that all of a sudden produces beautiful you. I tell the kids in, the, in my scripture class, you know, your ancestors didn't scrape their knuckles along the ground. Because that's what they are getting in the public school system. They're getting evolution. I tell them that you were created by God. Um, and I'll just, I haven't even written this. This has just come to my mind. But when we came to the point of um, teaching scripture, way back in 2003, um, Julie would... Uh, naturally use um, the Child Evangelism Fellowship material and we started with uh, Genesis 1 and I thought to myself okay I'm going to teach creation and if I get kicked out I get kicked out 16 years later no what is it now 19 years later and I have presented to the teachers videos sorry, DVDs um, that hit evolution head on. And in order to do that, I've got to give it to them so that they can look at it and approve it. I've never had one knock back. That in itself is a miracle because I was quite prepared to um, have someone come to me and say, you cannot teach this. And... If you continue to teach this, we can't have you. I think that's happened to some scripture teachers, but it hasn't happened to us, praise the Lord. 
we were teaching in the special school. I think some of you know about, we teach in two schools. One's a general school, ordinary school, and the other one's a special school for kids with intellectual disabilities and other problems. And uh, we, in that school, we meet in the library. Um, there has to be a school teacher there, but there's also some assistants that are also there. And uh, um, Julie leads in that one. Uh, my role is to assist. I don't have any problems with that at all because she can get down to their level. And we're talking about, you know, 11, 12 year old kids and she has to reach down to preschool level in order to get to these kids because as I said, they have severe intellectual disabilities. And so she's teaching um, creation, the days of creation. And we walked in and this has been going on for nearly all this year at the moment. And we walk in uh, last Tuesday and, and uh, they know what we're going, to, we're going to teach on. And some child or some adult, I don't know who it was, um, made a comment. And one of the teachers said, were you there? And I said, that's a very good question. <laughs> that's a very good question to ask. And that's a question that God asked Job. Were you there, Job, when I created the world? We have to be very careful about, you know, our so-called intellectual pride. Uh, and, and there are people in very high academic areas um, who have a lot of pride and they will not, they will not accept that there is a God. What's Job saying here? He says, stop, look at the creation that surrounds you. The creation doesn't speak to you of an endless series of mindless accidents that resulted in a creature like the giraffe. It was designed by God. Creation displays the attributes of God. God is omnipotent. That means he's all powerful. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 10 it says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands, works of thy hands. Simply by saying the word, God brought the universe into existence. Now, when you come to the question of evolution and creation, you go down the path, you know, Daddy, where did I come from? And you go back down, 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 until you can go back no further. With creation, you come to divine, eternal spirit, God. With evolution, you come to eternal dirt. You choose. I know which way I'm going to go. I'd rather have a divine spirit looking after me rather than eternal dirt. But that's a very simple way of stating it, but that's the fact. The world, the universe came into being. Everything by the word of God, every living creature. And God gave those creatures and the vegetation that exists on the earth the ability to re reproduce after its own kind. Rabbits don't have monkeys. Oranges don't have pineapples. 
oranges have or oranges. That was one of the, we, we had a, a victory in that special school because Julie has been talking about vegetation and God creating uh, the vegetation that produces after its own kind. And she talked about an apple inside the apple. What's in the apple? Seeds. What do the seeds do? You put them in the ground. They produce what? An apple tree. What does the apple tree produce? Apples. And one of the girls in the class last Tuesday, um, we presented this question. We said, what do the, what do the, what's in the apple? And we're talking about a girl who's probably, probably about 10 now. And she has to stop and think. And she says, seeds, hallelujah, we're getting somewhere. I mean, to us, to us, that is a victory. That is, that is, I mean, you just jump up and down with joy. And the teachers can see it. The teachers can see it. And I think that's one of the reasons that we've been allowed to come back to that school year after year after year. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 26, it says, Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their host by number? He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For, he, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. You think of the stars. As I said before, they're going deeper and deeper into space, and they're seeing stuff that they've never seen before, and it is, it's blowing their mind what they're seeing. God knows every one that's out there, every star. He knows the name of every star. That's because God is omniscient. He knows all. There's nothing that he doesn't know. The intelligence that is required to create the entire universe instantly so that it functions perfectly from the very beginning is beyond our comprehension. We cannot fathom it, but we can see in the creation that God knows all things and has perfect knowledge. You think about that when you've got problems. The God who knows all knows you, knows everything about you. He can help you in your problems and in your trials. Now, for someone who doesn't know God, who doesn't know Christ as their saviour, that can be a very concerning thing because that reveals that he knows their sin. But we'll get to the solution of that in a minute. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. God's knowledge is infinite. It has no limits. Have you ever heard of the lampsilis muscle? Hand up anybody that knows about the lampsilis muscle. Okay, some folks are here from North America, up in the northern part of the States. You've never heard of the lampsilis muscle? 
Okay, all right. The lampsilis muscle, sometimes I've read that it's called the pocketbook pocket muscle. It's in the freshwater systems uh, that drain out of the Great Lakes, okay, of northeastern USA. It exists, uh, sorry, it has a very unique way of sending its larvae, or its, let's talk in simple terms, its baby muscles, out into the world so that they can survive. They can't be just pushed out into the stream. I've got a scientist who's walking out on me. That's a concern. <laughs> just as long as you come back. Um, they can't be pushed out into the stream because they would die. They have to be placed somewhere where they can feed on blood for a few weeks until they are large enough and strong enough to survive on their own. That place is in the gills of a host fish. Now think about this. We're talking about a mussel. In Australia, we'd call it a pippy. Okay, a shell with nothing but meat inside. And it's got to get its babies out into the gills of a fish. How's it going to do that? Well, the mother mussel opens its shell just enough to expose some soft tissue that looks just like a tiddler or um, maybe you might know the, uh, a shiner or, or a, a little fry, a little baby fish. Okay? This, is, this is the bait. And this muscle, this little soft tissue, comes out from the shell and it wiggles, it jerks. It has dots that look like eyes. It's got markings that look like the type of fish, that the type of food that the, the fish in the stream, in that particular stream, would want to eat. Okay? So you've got this shell that's just opened up, this soft tissue is going jerk, 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 and along comes a broadmouth bass and looks at this and thinks, ooh, lunch. And the instant that mouth is opened over that bait, the shell or the, the muscle explodes the babies into the mouth of the fish. You think I'm making this up? Go Google it. Google lamps, lampsilis. Some people are doing it already, I can tell. I can, I can see this business going on. And they shoot, and it, I'll tell you now, you'll get two versions. You'll get the creation version and you'll get the evolution version. Okay? And I'll talk about the evolution version in a minute. They're both the same film, exactly the same film. It's just that the narrator on one talks about the greatness of God, and the narrator on the other one ends up saying, this has evolved. So these little babies go into the mouth of the fish and they clamp onto the, the, the gills where the, the blood is and they're fine for, I don't know, a couple of weeks until they get big enough and strong enough to be able to survive and then they drop off and go out into the big wide world. 
I mean, that can't evolve. How can that evolve? How can a muscle, it's got no eyes, how does it know what's out there in the first place? How does it know, I've got to get my babies out into somewhere where they can clamp onto some fish's you know, gills and get some blood for a while and survive. How does it know that? There's no possible way that that could have evolved. If it doesn't go right the first time, you have a creature that can't reproduce and it's gone, it's finished, it's off the line. Now, I've made reference to the, um, the evolutionary version of that very same film. And they show one of the muscles in the background that's got something slightly wrong with this little bait. Okay, the fish aren't interested in it. They don't go to that one. And the comment is made, its genes, I'm quoting, its genes will go nowhere. Well, that's just shot the evolutionary argument in the foot. Because it has to be, as we've been saying, it has to be right the first time. Everything has to be there in place. The only possible explanation is that an all-knowing and an all-wise God has designed that muscle that way. That places upon man the responsibility to know that God. If God can do that, then you need to know him. I had, you know, some of you know that we, we have been on a few cruises um, and uh, I don't need to explain why. But um, I tell you what, you need to be on your on your um, spiritual shoes, on your on your toes, um, because you are fourteen days with the same people all the time. And when you're pushing around a girl in a wheelchair, you get noticed. And and uh, you know uh, if you start frequenting places that you oughtn't to. Um, they will know it. The, your fellow passengers will know it. And on the last one, I was getting towards the end of the cruise. I'm up in the buffet. There's a uh, fellow who's sitting at the same table as me, and we're having this conversation. And he starts to draw the conversation towards um, the world and where it came from. And he looks at me and he says, I am a monkey with a big brain. That's evolution talking. And I'm thinking, I bet you're an academic, you're, you're a university professor or something. You know, because that's the way they think. The Bible says, proclaiming themselves to be wise, they became fools. And one of the reasons they opt for evolution is because no God, I'm not responsible to any God, therefore I can do what I like. That's the thing. That's the basis of their thinking. God is a God of love. That's another thing we can learn. He cares about his creation. God loves you. Where did beauty come from? Think about that. How did beauty evolve? Now that would send people into the funny farm. Going, you know, that's the chicken, which came first? The chicken and the egg type story. You know, people will go crazy thinking about well, um, how did, how did colour come into 
uh, how did that evolve? Um, another one, if you want to be challenged by something, how did the atmosphere evolve? You think about that. That'll send you off into the loony bin as well. It was there by God. A designer put it there. A loving God. I mean, he could have made everything black and white. But then what would the bees have done? You know, there's, there's no sunflower to head towards or there's no zinnia or there's no rose to head toward with beautiful flowers. But it's not just for the bees, it's also for us as well. Beauty is there for us to enjoy. And that's a loving God. God put beauty into the world for us. God shows his love also for mankind because that beautiful world was spoilt by sin. The entrance of sin spoiled God's creation. Death came in. Man was made in the image of God to fellowship with him. But when man chose to disobey God, Sin and death entered into the world and the creation was spoiled. Romans 5 verse 12 says, Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's you and me. We all have sinned. We've inherited from Adam that want to. To do what is wrong. Everyone has, that has a, had a human father has inherited that sin nature. We have that desire to rebel, to do what we know is wrong and to turn our backs on God and to say within ourselves, I will have my way. And that's the issue that God will have with you when you stand before him. It's a question of ownership. Who really owns you? You say, oh, I'm my own boss. Well, you're going to stand before the real boss one day. You're going to stand before Almighty God. And you won't be boasting and you won't be telling God what you think of him at that stage. The question that it will be on your mind is, what is he going to do with me? Where am I going to go? Physical and spiritual death is the result of our rebellion. Sin has consequences. In Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4 it says, Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Now we mentioned before about God's love and creation. God's love for us. God didn't want that. That wasn't part of his plan. He gave man a choice. God, man chose to go against God. So what's God's remedy? God's love for mankind went far beyond creating color and beauty. It went to the point of being prepared to pay the price of our sin himself. He did this in the person of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. We can't really imagine what really transpired 
on the cross when the father had to turn away from the son because the son was filled with the sin of all mankind, past, present and future. God couldn't look upon sin. We can't fathom that. But God went that way, knowing what would happen. Jesus went to the cross, knowing what would happen. And he did it because he loves us. Talking about God, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 17, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood. If you have a, a Bible version that cuts that phrase through his blood out, you've got a butchered Bible. Now, that's not a popular statement to make in a lot of Christian circles these days, but it's true. If you want to know the difference between the received text and the critical text, that's one of the key verses you go to. That's one of the first places I go to when I'm being presented with a, a, a Bible in another language. I say to them, take me to Colossians 1.14, sometimes I can find it myself, and I say, what's the word for blood? They'll say, whatever. And if it's not there, I know I'm looking at the critical text. In the received text, it is there always. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image, this is Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. There's a solution to the problem. We are all sinners. We are, the result of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. Something has to be done about our sin and you cannot do it. You cannot do anything to remove your sin. It is an offence that is way beyond what you can pay. But God in his love has paid the price for you. There was no greater sacrifice that God could have paid to redeem us so that we might enjoy fellowship with him. There is nothing that you, can, you or I can do to add to that sacrifice. This is, now, I've come from a Catholic background. So I know what I'm talking about. People, as a, as a young Catholic and, and every other Catholic, they'll say, yes, I believe Jesus died on the cross, buried, rose again the third day. I know he's the son of God. But I still have to do I still have to do the sacraments. I've got to be christened, you know, baptized into the church. Uh, I've, I've got to do this. I've got to do penance. I've got to do confession. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. God says none of that. All that's an insult. You cannot add to what I have done. But God commendeth his love towards us 
in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The God who created the world perfectly, no detail overlooked, nothing left out, is the same God who also redeems perfectly. He redeems perfectly. And that was the thing that hit home to me as a young Roman Catholic. What Jesus did on the cross, he did perfectly. When he paid for the price for my sin, it was lock, stock and barrel. And the penny dropped. And I suddenly realised that all I needed to do was trust in him and what he did on the cross for me. And that was the moment when I went home and asked the Lord Jesus on that basis to be my saviour. Nothing is left out. He paid for it all. When God forgives, he forgives perfectly. And believer, you've put your trust in Christ and, and you, you know you're saved, but still the old stuff comes back and comes back and comes back. It's nailed to the cross. And as you get older, the memory starts to go back further and further, you know, and things that you did five minutes ago, you've forgotten about, but the old, the, the long-term stuff starts to come back. And you know, I, I'm experiencing that now. I'm experiencing that. And I have to claim by faith it's nailed to the cross it's under the blood dealt with gone finish kaput i don't need to go there anymore that is dog vomit i don't need to think about that and older people i, I talk a lot to young people but older people you can have the victory over those thoughts when they start hounding you Psalm 103 verse 11 says, For as the high heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. They're gone. Forgiven. God forgets about them. We talked about an omniscient God. There are some things that he forgets. And when you when you've put your trust in Christ, for forgiveness, the, the old stuff he forgets about. So don't bring it back to him. Don't keep on talking about it. If it's forgiven, it's forgiven. Leave it there. Salvation is a gift from God. But to receive that forgiveness, it must be by faith. There is no other person, there is no other way to be assured of going to heaven. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name but the name of Jesus Christ. You must come to God confessing your need for salvation, that you are a lost sinner and that you put your trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone for salvation. Jesus Christ said, this is the invitation. Okay, this is the invitation to you if you don't know Christ. If you're watching online and you don't know Christ or you're not sure, he says, come unto me, all ye that labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's rest for your soul. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take him at his word, accept his invitation, and come to Christ today.